So uh, let's go ahead and uh, turn in our Bibles to the book of Colossians. We're going to um, pick up where we left off. Um, uh, <coughs> pardon me, last week. Um, we had uh, talked about, um, you know, a, a, a believer's life being full, filled with the fullness of Christ. And, um, you know, uh, we started talking about uh, him reconciling the things to himself, uh, whether they be things in earth and things in heaven. And again, you know, this is uh, that uh, peace that comes about. Uh, uh, Peter talks a little bit about it over there in First Peter chapter 1, in verses 18 through 19, where he starts talking about uh, the peace um, that, that we have from what Christ has done, uh, what he does for us and the great things that he does on a day-to-day basis uh, is because of that reconciliation, uh, because of uh, his actions, because of the shed blood upon the cross and what he has given us with eternal life. Those are things that, that we really have to remember that, you know, obviously at some point we were outside of that, uh, um, that, uh, uh, if you will, outside of the, the, the grace of God. Turn, uh, turn there, uh, when, uh, excuse me, just keep your place in Colossians 1, verse 20, where he says, and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and if you turn over to Philippians chapter 2, and in verse uh, 13, in that passage right there, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes uh, were afar off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. This is an important thing. What draws us to the Lord is what he has done, his shed blood. If, if, if he had not shed his blood on the cross for our sins, uh, there would be no remission of sins, as scripture says. So we understand that the only way that we can draw nigh to Christ is, or draw nigh to God is through Christ. It's through his shed blood. And this is, this is one of the biggest issues that, you know, when you start talking about different religions and people start going towards this ecumenical type movement of, well, we're all kind of believing the one God and, uh, you know, just as long as they believe in God, everything should be fine. Well, believing in God doesn't save you. Right. That's not what it says. It says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. Now, I understand he's God. But there is very specific talking about the Son of God uh, in the Trinity, who he is. Number one, recognizing that he is God. Number one, er, number two, recognizing the sacrifice that he's made for us. Um, And that is our only way to get to heaven. That's it. There is no other manner in which we are going to get to heaven. This is not going to happen. It's just not going to occur. When we take a look at what we as believers, you know, often, I dare say, take for granted because we don't fully comprehend everything that Christ has done for us on the cross. And that's kind of what Colossians is about, talking about, you know, his preeminence and everything that he's done. It's sometimes discounted 
and kind of, if you will, put to the side. So that if somebody says, oh, hey, well, I believe in God, or I've always believed in God, it's like, okay, well, if you believe in God, then what do you think about Jesus Christ? So if you're ever in a situation where somebody says, well, you know, I, 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 I believe in God. You're telling them that they need, uh, they need a savior, that they, they need salvation, that, uh, they're, uh, possibly going to spend eternity in hell. And you want to make sure that what they're doing is, you know, what you're, you're telling them, um, that they understand this concept. And inevitably they'll say something like, well, well, I believe in God. Okay. Well, if you believe God, then do you believe what God said about Jesus Christ? That gets down to the root of the matter. No man cometh to the Father but by him. That verse right there that we just saw in Ephesians 2.13 says that we draw nigh because of his shed blood. Well, you know, I just, I believe, I don't believe that, you know, everything is accurate about who Jesus is. But I'm just, you know, I'm content in believing with God. Well, then you're never going to be close to him. If you say you believe in God, you will never know who he is. You'll never know who he is. I can say all day long that, uh, if you will, uh, I believe that President Biden exists. I could say that. (laughs) But I don't know the man. I don't know anything about him as far as, you know, having a personal relationship with him. And, 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 and that's the key important part. Can you imagine there's somebody that, that has that concept and they're there at the, the pearly gates and, and they're like, uh, who are you? Oh, I'm such and such. Um, I don't see your name on a list. Yeah. Well, I, I believe God exists, so I should be able to get in. Angel's like, uh, hold on a second. Let me call my supervisor. <laughs> You know, here comes Gabriel. He's going to try to, if you will, you know, do the whole situation where they're de-escalating right now. Gabriel de-escalates. And he comes up and he's like, well, you know, I'm looking at our lists and I don't see anything in the books uh, specifically saying that you're to gain entrance. Um, um, what is it exactly you believe? You know, I just want to make sure we don't have a clerical error, which they don't. Um, you know, he's trying to de-escalate. I get it. And, uh, and, uh, you know, the, the individual just says, well, you know, I believe, I just, I've always believed God. I've always felt like he, his presence is in my life and, and has been guiding me and directing me. And, 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 and I just know that, um, I'm, I'm kind of at peace with who he is and he, he's okay with who I am. So it should be, it should be fine. It should be fine. You guys can go ahead and, and open up the gates. And Gabriel's like, uh, I'm going to talk to one of my colleagues. Hold on a second. He's, he's a little bit higher up than I am. He's an archangel. Um, Michael, would you come here for a moment? You know, here comes Michael. Thud, thud. Thud, thud. Big old sword on his side. Who are you? Uh, I'm such and such. What do you want? Uh, I thought I could get into heaven. He starts grabbing a hold of his sword. Uh, is he in the books? No. Starts pulling it out. <laughs> it's not going to end well. 
I mean, you know, I know, I, I, I say that to kind of be a little humorous, but, but the idea and the concept that people have sitting there saying something like that, and you could put the same situation if you're trying to get into the White House. Why is it that people will discount what Christ has done, who is the one that has made that peace? And it says it right there in verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 2. If you read it, it says, for he is our what? Peace. I mean, it's very evident right there. He is our peace. Who has both made, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall partition between us. You know who the best peacemaker is? Jesus Christ. But if somebody really does not agree with Jesus Christ, there's going to be conflict. Why is that? Because Jesus Christ said, well, they're going to hate me. They're going to hate me. But the idea is that it's Christ that has, has brought this about. Uh, let's, let's go over to Revelation chapter 1. Just see a couple of passages here talking about, you know, this peace that uh, uh, was obtained by the shedding of his blood. In Revelation chapter 1, and in verse 5, and it's from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. I mean, that is one of the most important verses in Scripture. And the book is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That That's the idea, is that we would realize that it is his shed blood that cleanses us. Nothing else. You get dumped in the baptismal pool all day long. It's not going to take away any sins. It's a picture. God asks us to do it in obedience. It's something that he, he, he wants us to do. And I tell you, you know, if people have difficulty getting baptized, you know, in a little bit of water, they're going to have difficulty with the rest of the Christian life. They're going to struggle. But I'll tell you this, you, you look at it right here, what cleanses us is the shed blood of Christ. If somebody just says, well, God, you know, they, they think that Jesus was just a man and that, yeah, he died on the cross, but he didn't die for our sins. He's just a man that, 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 that sinned like we did, then guess what happens? His shed blood doesn't do anything. It's not precious. Turn to 1 Peter, 1 Peter 1 and verse 18. I just uh, referenced that. 1 Peter uh, 1, verse 18, it says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things. What are corruptible things? Works. Works. Have you ever seen that? So right now there is this big, big issue. Now look, I, I, I get it, and I understand that, you know how people feel about certain things. But right now, they're, they're, they're dismantling one of the most favorite rides in Disneyland. Splash Mountain. It has become offensive because it's associated with Song of the South. 
If you have Song of the South on, if you have it on Blu-ray, that is amazing that you got it, that. But if you have Song of the South on the VHS, VHS tape, people are willing to pay hundreds of dollars for that. It's something that, that you know, remember the, the, they were singing, you know, the guy was walking along and it was part animation, part of live action. And, uh, there was this, uh, jolly old gentleman just strolling along, singing zippity doo dah, zippity day, my oh my, what a wonderful day. That's apparently racist. And I'm just like, okay. So they, they're getting rid of it. And it, it's just like they do away with all the works that are associated with anybody that ever said or did anything. You know, somebody comes out that that person said something when they were like, you know, 15 years old and here they are at 55 and, and now all of a sudden we have to just completely cancel them, right? All their works are gone. All their works are done with. We don't, we, we don't talk about that person. So you know what happens with the works? They're corruptible. They can be corrupted later on. And as we see this here in verse 18, he says, for as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold. He says it's silver and gold is stuff that's going to go away. It devalues from your vain conversation received by tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That's the important part. Verse 19 of 1 Peter chapter 1 is, again, a very important verse when it comes to, in, in very much in parallel with the other two verses we've just read. And it supports exactly what's going on here about the reconciliation that's being made. Well, why does the reconciliation have to be made? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's go ahead and turn over to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, where we are, and in verse 21, here he talks about this, and he says this reconciliation, this peace... Because we are at enmity with God, it says in verse 21, and you who were sometimes, uh, sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet hath, yet now, uh, hath he reconciled. There, there's the concept. Because of, let's just put it this way, the way we think, we have alienated ourselves and become an enemy of God. We're, we're, we're against him. And it has to do with our mindset. And again, when we start talking about the mindset, we start talking about the mind, let's not just automatically think the brain activity because Jesus Christ made it clear that the thoughts arise in our hearts. And it's the heart, the soul of the individual, the, the innermost part there of desire and affection all of that there, we have to understand that concept that, 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 that we as believers have, or, you know, before we were believers, we were, we were alienated. We, we were not friends with God. And this is, this is where you take verses and you show people and they'll say, well, I believe in God. Okay. That's great. The devils believe in tremble. So let's just move on from that point. Uh, you know, what do you believe about Jesus Christ? And they'll, they'll say something, well, I don't believe this or I don't believe that. Or, you know, uh, I don't think Jesus was really necessary, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it, that's the problem. There's a lot of people that say they believe in God, but there's a lot of people that do not say they believe in Jesus Christ. 
And look, a lot of people say, well, you know, we we grew up as a Christian country. And they, they don't want Christian principles now and so on and so forth. But I'll tell you this, the, the main issue is, is that people left behind Jesus Christ. People say, you know, uh, uh, um, God, family, country, and things like that. Uh, no, it's Christ. Why aren't we saying Jesus Christ, family, country? Why, why, why aren't we saying it's, it's, it's what he's done for us? Because he's the one that needs to be ruling and reigning in our hearts. And if he's ruling and reigning in our hearts as U.S. citizens, then, okay, then we can start moving to a country that is being ruled and reigned by Jesus Christ. But that's not going to happen. When Jesus Christ comes to rule and to reign physically, that's when it occurs and happens. Right now, he's in our hearts. Right now, he's in us. And we are in him, but we are alienated. We're outside of him. Now that's the, that's the, one of the biggest issues right now is people are talking about aliens entering into the country. Yes, in both kinds, by the way. All right. Just want to clarify. Just want to clarify. Initially, they thought that that's what they thought the balloon was. You know, that's why it made such a big uh, uh, uproar and, and was found out and discovered is they're like, oh, hey, what's this floating object? It's a UFO. Oh, the aliens must be visiting us. <sighs> yeah, they are aliens because they're not of this country. Our balloon was not of this country. But, you know, again, we start talking about the word alien and people find that word offensive. But the fact is, is we were alienated from God on our own. You know, you see how groups will alienate a person. And you just watch high school. It just it happens, you know. If you don't fit in their clique and their group, they'll alienate. They'll push you out. Um, I'll, I'll tell you this. I was the most popular kid in my class. <laughs> I was homeschooled. Uh, <laughs> I was also the coolest kid, the most athletic. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this sounds really bad. But, you know, it just, it, we, we, when you're a class of one, you know, hey, I can have a class reunion anytime I want. Mm, just had one. All right, moving on. You know, it's a... It, you know, people get alienated all the time because of who they are, how they act, how they smell, how they look, whatever it is, right? Ethnicity. People are bigoted, biased people anyways. But as we look at what Scripture talks about here, it's saying that, that we're alienated from God. But it wasn't God that alienated us. God didn't push us away. We did. You ever meet the person that alienates themselves? I tell you, you know, Christians sometimes are pretty good at doing that. We're pretty good at having our own little pity party. We're pretty good at saying, oh, you know, woe is me. I'm going through a tough time in my life and, and I'm going to isolate myself from everybody. I'm not going to, you know, 
Look, if you're, if you're having difficulty in trials and troubles, the last place you should stay away from is church. Well, I don't, I don't want to talk about it. Who said you had to talk about you? Talk about Jesus Christ. Talk about the blessings you have. Talk about the thankfulness and contentment you have in Christ and Christ alone. There's a song that's out there, you know, you know, I'm proud to be an American. And everybody sings it and they get this swelling patriot. I don't. I don't. This guy's singing and it, look, if you love that song, I get it. I totally understand. Uh, but I will tell you this. Uh, it's borderline blasphemous. Because what do you have? I'm proud to be an American. If I lose everything today, I'm still an American. And yeah, well, he says God in there. I don't care. I'm blessed to be here. I'm blessed to be here. I'm not proud of it. I, I, I am a Christian before I'm an American. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm his disciple before I'm anyone else's. People don't like that. And look, if I lose everything here, it's not because I'm going to, you know, be able to pull myself by my bootstraps because I'm an American and, and I've got that good old fashioned American work ethic. Have you ever seen the good old fashioned American work ethic lately? Yeah, that's pretty scary. Pretty scary. Nobody wants to work anymore. Um, you know, it, it's, you know, I, I can pull myself up. It's the land of opportunity and so on and so forth. And I, and I get, that's not because of America. That's because of the blessings of, of, of Christ and God. Amen. How about we give, you know, if you will, uh, a, a, you know, a, if you will honor to where honor is due. It's, it's due to God. Oh, look, I understand people may say, well, well, I understand what he's, I get what he's trying to say, but how about we change the words? Why, why is it that we want to use words that have the incorrect meaning? Can you imagine changing that song? It wouldn't be sung at any 4th of July parade or anything like that. They wouldn't be playing it from the background. Why? Because it would be giving you know, glory to God. They're still fighting for the fact that we as the United States of America have a motto that says, in God we trust. By the way, this is just a complete total lie, but <laughs> don't trust in God. And how is that evident? Because of everything we see. But here we are, we're, we're alienated from God because of, our, as he says here, uh, um, our, 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 our wicked, uh, uh, you know, works in our mind. What we think of, what we, we, what we desire, what, 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 what we're, we're searching for. And this is the cause of separation. Go over to Romans chapter seven. Romans chapter 7. And Romans chapter 7 is, is very, if you will, definitive in this regard. It, it, it just lays the pattern very clear. 
and, and, and here he is, he, he, uh, Paul's talking about it and, um, and, uh, just, uh, I, I, we don't have time to read the whole thing, but, uh, um, in verse five of Romans chapter seven, he says, for when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. The fact that we disobeyed, the fact that we disregarded, the fact that we despised what God had said, there was emotions of sin that was working in us, and it brought about death. Sin will bring forth a fruit. You plant it, it'll bring something. It always brings something to the party in the potluck, without fail. And what it brings, nobody wants. Might be the fun guy, but I guarantee you, in the end, it's not fun. In the end, it is not fun. And what does he say here? He says, uh, uh, but now, we, in verse 6, but now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. And he's saying, look, this is what needs to happen. We need to, 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 to serve by the leading of the Holy Spirit. A desire. A desire. As he goes on a little bit further then uh, in, in this, in verse 7, he says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, for without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once. Well, that's interesting. There he is just living his life and he's alive. So when does the dead and trespasses and sins come about? But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. That's when it happened. That's when death occurred. And what happened? We were alienated and enemies of God made a choice. The commandment, which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. Talks about how sin deceived him and slew him. So what we see with this is that it is our sin, our willing choice to make that sin. This is what he's talking about. He said, look, beforehand, I didn't realize what the law said. There was a degree of ignorance. I didn't even know what lust was. And then somebody said, you're not supposed to lust. The Bible says you're not supposed to covet. Thou shalt not covet. And Paul, or little, little Saul at the time, you're wanting something that you can't have. And you're wanting to obtain it in a way that you shouldn't go about obtaining it. And the end result is... In his mind, he didn't actually steal anything. He didn't actually take anything. But in his mind, he defied God. That's mine. I deserve it. I should have it. That's what covetousness is. 
And the end result is, is when he did that and somebody said, you can't say that, you can't do that, that's sin. He died. His sin separated him at that moment from God. So when we start taking a look at what's going on in, in the life of, of, of us as human beings, you know what happens is we get to the point of where we realize how bad sin is. Let's not discount what sin does. He made that willing choice, and that willing choice resulted in a death of a relationship. That resulted in a separation from God. That resulted in something being broken. That resulted in a breach. You know, and that's the, that's the issue. It's how we think. Before we actually do an action of sin or a word that comes out of our mouth, it comes in as a thought that's in our heart initially and then comes out. It's the defiance in our heart and how deceitful it can be that is causing the problem. How we think is is the problem, the works of the flesh... Uh, 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 are, are because of what the, 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 the mind of the heart thinks. That's what comes out. Turn over to back to Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, he goes on with this alienation saying, this is what has separated us. In Ephesians chapter 2 and in verse 1, he says, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in times past, in the lust of the flesh, filling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature uh, uh, the children of wrath, even as others. He says, this is what we were. This is what we were. And now... If you're trusting Christ as your Savior, you're not a children, a child of disobedience. You're not a child of wrath. You're a child of God. You're a child of light. Act like one. And in order to act like one, you have to think like one. You have to be transformed. Romans chapter 12. You have to change the way you think in order to behave the way that God wants you to behave. Jump down to verse 12 here in the same passage, and he says... That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. He said, that's what you were. God chose the nation of Israel, not for their fantastic abilities or anything of that nature, but he chose them and said, this is going to be my people. I'm going to use these people. I'm going to have them do my will. And they are going to bring about the knowledge of God, the knowledge of, uh, of the will of God through the word of God, through their deeds, through actions, through the rest of it. If you will, a priestly nation among the Gentile nations. That was the purpose and that was the intent. And if you wanted to get close to God... You found yourself a Hebrew, and you said, I want to know God. 
tell me more about your Lord. Tell me more about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Tell, tell me who he is. And at one point in time, we were outside of that. The Gentiles were outside of that. But then, obviously, verse 13, which we read, it was the work of Jesus Christ that brought it to the Gentiles. Because the Jews certainly weren't doing it. But but as he, as we, we look at this passage um, a little bit more in verse 19, it says, Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints in the household of God. And why is that? Because they trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior. Because they have received him. Here he is talking to believers. He's saying, you were alienated at one time, but now, now, now you're not alienated any longer. And, and this is exactly what Paul's telling the Colossians, uh, Colossians, this back over in Colossians chapter 1 verse 21. And he says, this is what you were, but I want you to understand you're reconciled. And this is what a believer really needs to truly get. I mean, you see Paul talking about this a lot. He says, you were this, in multiple of his letters, you were this, but now you're this. Here's God's expectations. Here's what you do to live holy. Here's what you do to live perfect. Here's what you do to live in the will of God, doing the will of God from the heart. All of this right here that's contained in in, in the word of God. He says, this is what I want you to understand. So as, as we see this here, we see this pattern that he's developing. Um, there is one other passage. Um, I want to take a look here real quick, make sure. Um, yeah, turn over to Colossians chapter 5. Make mention of this. Colossians, or uh, not Colossians, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. There we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you've got five chapters of Colossians, you must have one of those newfangled things. Uh, Colossians chapter 5, not, did it again. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and in verse 18, It says, and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Christ Jesus and hath given us the ministry of reconciliation. So beforehand, you had a totally different purpose. You were pleasing yourself. Your ministry wasn't a ministry of reconciliation. Your ministry was a ministry of let's make things worse. Your your ministry of let's make things hard and difficult. Because the Bible says the way of the transgressor is what? Hard. So, here we are, and he says, given us a completely different ministry. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciled the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has commuted, committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, when we were, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 
I, I, I like how he kind of summarizes it. And he says, he, 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 he took our place for our sin and in turn asks us, do that which is right. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. This is why he says, this is what you were, this is what you need to be. This is, this is what you were, this is what God has made you, this is what you need to fulfill as your ministry, as your duty, as a Christian. This is what you need to do. This is what God is, is, is showing here. Turn back over to Colossians chapter 1 and in verse 22. It says, in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. So here we are in a very, very interesting verse. And he talks about this verse and he says, in the body, uh, in the body of his flesh through death. The reason he had to come in the flesh is because number one, you can't kill God. It, it just, he, he doesn't have a birth date. He doesn't have an end date. That's time. God, God is outside of time. Time is something that he created for man. Teach us to number our days. We're bound by it. We can't live outside of it. Mankind's always trying to figure out, oh, okay, well, can I, can, can I actually, you know, find a way to, to, you know, go into the future or go into the back, back into the past? And no, you can't. You can't set things in the future and you can't change things in the past. We are, we are creatures of every single moment and that moment, once it's gone, is gone. So that second that just passed right now of silence, God, you're never getting it back. That one, gone. You're never getting it back. And so on and so forth. So here he is. He's come in the body of the, uh, the flesh as us, uh, you know, as we are. For the purpose of that, what, what is that? That he would die. He would go through that process. He would go through all those things. He'd be tempted as we are, yet without sin. He'd go through all the stuff that we go through in this life, all the drama, all the abuse, all the heartache, all the good times, all the bad times. He did all of that for you so that he would die on the cross so that he could with that action and his shed blood, his precious blood being shed and and again reconciling you to God, saying he's going to make it right, what does he do to present you? Now, I want you to take this personally. I want you to take this verse and I want you to think about when it says the word you, that you, if you will, will insert yourself there. To present you holy. Then we think about that for a moment. 
We don't often think of ourselves as that, do we? God says, be you holy as I am holy. People just write it off and dismiss it and say, well, I I can't can't get there. And God says, yeah, you can through Jesus Christ. Don't give up to present you holy, holy, unblameable. You ever been blamed for something? Whether you did it or not. Could you could, could you ever be the person that could be blamed for it? We're, I mean, we're pretty good at shifting blame. Adam and Eve set the standard. Where it was like, who, me? God, it's the woman you created. Eve's like, excuse me, her name was woman at that time. She looks at it and she goes, me? Thanks, Adam, for throwing me under the bus, but okay. Uh, well, it's the serpent that deceived me that you created. Everybody's fingers are going everyone else, but they're all pointing to God. Trying to blame him. And so many times people blame God for their situations. They blame God for stuff. God, why'd you give me cancer? God, why am I in this situation? Well, again, you know, we have to look at it and analyze. You can't just, you know, carte blanche, throw it in there and and say that you're in the situation you're in is because of, you know, you did some wicked sin or something like that, and you're now, you know, having consequences. That may be the case. I mean, you know, the stuff that happens in our life, we, we have to look at it and we have to go, well, it's for the glory of God. Remember the guy that was blind from birth? And, and, and they started asking Jesus Christ, well, is it his fault or his parents' fault? And he's like, what? Why are you looking for somebody to blame? The purpose he's blind is for the glory of God. Watch this. See. Hey, look. <laughs> and that's an amazing thing. The stuff that's evil in this world, God is, has a great, great, great ability to turn it around and use it. As horrible as some things may be, God has a great way of being able to turn the things around and use it to, to grow, to, to shape us, to do whatever it is. So if God's not looking to blame you for anything. Why are we always looking for somebody to blame? Un, 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 he says to present us unblameable. When you stand in front of God, there is no blame found. Why? Because he has covered your sins. He has taken care of them. They're paid. 
Let's flip to the, you know, the old accuser comes up, the devil himself, and says, hey, you see what Ken Stewart did? Aren't you going to kill him? God says, all I see is the shed blood of my son. I see holy and unblameable. Man, that's got to irritate the devil. But you know what? Don't give him an excuse to to accuse. Don't live in sin. God forbid. Don't continue in sin. God forbid. These are very clear things. But he says, this is how he's presenting us. Holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. This is an amazing thing and a concept for us to think about. I mean, the presentation, if you will, is, is, you know, obviously we see the word being made flesh in John chapter one, and here he is with his death. But, but, but what we, what we see about this is, is, if you will, some amazing truths about salvation and what he's doing of, of how we're seen in his sight. Holy. We are called to be holy, a call to salvation and sanctification. We're, that's what we're called to do. We, we, we find that, as he says, unblameable here. I mean, you know, it, it, it's, the idea is, is that we don't want to make the cross in vain. And then unreprovable that we're not finding a, a fault or offense. To cause any type of guilt, there's nothing that can be attributed to us. Because in the legal sense, you know, you have what has been done. You can't charge the crime against somebody if somebody's already paid for it. Somebody's already taken the place. And Jesus Christ, when we were guilty... When we were aliens, when we were enemies of God, God, you know, here's Jesus Christ standing up and say, I love them. I'm going to take their place. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There it is over there. You see that? Unholy, 100% to blame, and can reprove him 17 million ways to Sunday. He says, yeah, I'm going to die for them. I'm going to give my life for them. I'm going to forsake everything that is in heaven. And I'm going to come and I'm going to, I'm going to die for them. That is an amazing thing to even, just to even contemplate. That God would do that for us. That God would do that for us. And these are some amazing truths. This is what he's saying he's going to do. He's saying in verse 23, or excuse me, 22, in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. And I, I want to emphasize that one little part right there in his sight. In his sight. Mankind is really good at finding fault, aren't they? 
They they want to find somebody to blame. They want to make sure that somebody uh, takes the the heat for it. They that 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 that's mankind. That's what man likes to do. But you're not doing the things in this life for the approval of man. You're not doing the things in this life for the approval of uh, of your friends and your family. You're doing them in his sight. That's the only sight that matters. This is again, okay, I want to go back to that subject of preeminence. We get so caught up in, well, what is somebody going to think about me? No, 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 no. You need to get rid of that. It's a matter of how does God see it? How does God see you? How does God look at your life? What does God think? It's his sight. We need to keep that in, in, in mind. I, again, you know, I'll, I'll go back and I'll, I'll kind of close with this, but, but, but I'll say, you know, here's, here's something that, uh, um, the, that, uh, Charles Spurgeon said, he said he was wholly convinced and he lived in a day and age that was, you know, people were, you know, getting saved and he had a 6,000 member church, you know, if you will, one of the first mega churches that ever existed and, and had an amazing ministry and, 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 and all of that. But I, I, I'll just, I'll just say this. He said, there's a lot of Christians today that don't believe the Bible. He said, if they believed the Bible, then they'd believe that the Lord could return at any moment in time and they wouldn't do the things that they were doing. To be caught in that. If they really truly believed that the eyes of the Lord, beholding the evil and the good, and he sees everything, they wouldn't do what they just did. And that the Lord hears. And they wouldn't say what they just said. And if the Lord can look at the hearts and discern them, discern them, then they wouldn't, they wouldn't think what they just thought. And I tell you, when we start looking at Colossians, it becomes very, very important for us. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that holy, unblameable, unreprovable. But I want us to, to, to focus on it. it's in His sight. The first one we need to consider with everything that we do is God. It's in his sight. What does he see? That should be a thought that we all have. Let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for the time. Thank you again for an opportunity, Lord, to just uh, hear your word. And Lord, I pray that uh, we think on these things and uh, that, Lord, we'd use them to be Christians that follow you, believe you, uh, and do your will. I pray you continue to meet with us for the 11 o'clock hour. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.